Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen. And you're back in the room. This is the big interview. Imagine you are a player or a coach and it's 24 hours to your first ever Champions League final. What do you think about? What do you do? What's the level of tension like? How do you excel? How do you ensure that tension doesn't get the better of you? How do you soak up the memories and take them away with you? Win, lose, or draw for life. Paul Clement here today first published on the morning of the Champions League final at the San Siro. He's going to break down exactly what that was like for him and Carlo Ancelotti in 2014 when eventually, dramatically, they defeated Atletico Madrid in the first ever City Derby in a European Cup final. Just wait for his explanation of what it felt like looking down the tunnel before the match. Cristiano Ronaldo's ability to make him smile and reassure him. The tension in the last seconds of the game when Aletti are leading 1-0. The Ica Casillas mistake. The celebrations. Champion of Europe. Paul Clement here will take you right into the electric tension of the minute-by-minute, day-before, day-off and day-after Champions League final, right up to dancing around the Sibeles Fountain in Madrid. Oops, look. I've given away who wins in the end. Enjoy. You know, the final is against a brutal rival who you'd had games against um, during the season. What I'd really like to know, rather than talking about the game, is I'll bet you that many people listening have either spent several hundred quid on finding a ticket somehow to go to a Champions League final, whether their team's involved or not, flown somewhere, fought against crook hotel owners to get a bed at 350 euros a night in a European city and they passed a day worrying about will my ticket be there or is it dry, will we be able to get a drink, will we get in, will it be fun, will it be rubbish? What is going to a Champions League final like? What was it like then? Arriving the night before, arriving in Lisbon, can you break that process down up to kick-off? As far as you can remember it. Yeah, I'm almost certain I'm right in saying that we went two nights ahead for this game. So we trained at Valdebebas two days before the game and then we, we headed out to Lisbon. Uh, normally we would always be there just the day before, training in the stadium and then, but we went that night. So we got there 
two days before, in the evening, dinner, beds, the next morning, it was up, so now we're in the day before the game. Myself, Carlo, Zizou, we were reviewed some video of Atletico. We start to build about what we're going to do with our final presentation stuff with the players. And then we do a final session that evening in the stadium. That session didn't involve any tactical work. You know, that work's done at Valdebebas. It's not something that we were going to do. No last chances, just to underline a couple of points. No, it's not something we were going to do in the stadium. So what are they doing, just getting used to the atmosphere? or Yeah, getting, feel? getting the feel of the stadium. And that's really what it was whenever we played in the Champions League in the way stadiums. I know this was a neutral stadium, but mm -hmm. you, always, you always have to be aware that if you're working in a neutral stadium or an away stadium, that you're, you're going to be looked at. There are know? prying eyes. Yeah, you, it's, it's not... It's that not matters? It's not secure. It can do. You know, if there's certain players that are not sure whether they're going to make it, I don't know mm. if you remember that final, there were a number of players that had some doubts over them. Gareth had just come through an injury. Cristiano and, and Karim were always going to play, but were not 100%. Mm. But Pepe was the big question mark whether he was going to make it or not. And he didn't, but the others did. So, you know, they're not the things that you want to see. And from their point of view, there was a big question mark about whether Diego Costa was going to play. Oh, shit. You know, he'd I mean, damaged his hamstring the week off twice yeah. before. Because in the Barcelona quarterfinal, he limps off. Yeah. And then comes back. The, and the week before, in a league game? Yeah. I think. So, clearly not. Yeah. Really. So, everything was saying that he wasn't going to play. You know, the doctors, our doctors were saying, if he's got this injury, he can't, he can't play. play. Yeah. But then we found out, not by seeing, because we weren't able to see, but that he had trained, just as we were arriving at the stadium to train. They were coming off. We knew he'd trained, but we didn't know what he'd done. So we did predict that he would start, but we didn't know exactly what sort of condition he was in. So a light training session, we normally did the rondos, and you know, we did a small game, a little bit of finishing at the end, and, and then back to the hotel. Bed, now, the day of the game is where we started to... You know, really finalised the prep. Players pretty much knew what the team was. Although it hadn't absolutely been confirmed, the work that Carlo had done in the week pretty much showed them. But the Pepe decision in that case, every injury will mean that you might decide that two days before or the day before or two hours before about whether a player plays or not. When was the Pepe decision taken and what, what's that based upon Pepe, in that instance? Yeah, Pep was given you know, as much opportunity as he could really to, to show them whether he was fit or not. So he did train going into the last game, but... You know, discussions between him, the doctor and the coach, you know, it was going to be too much of a risk. Mm -hmm. So he went onto the bench and Varane was going to start the game. Ah. And Varane knew that as well. Varane knew that he was, uh, he had a good chance of playing, uh, leading into that because of Pep's problem. But it was made, you know, quite like that decision. So day before the game. Can you, on a Champions League final, particularly in Lisbon when both Madrid teams have got there, this... Let's go for a 20-minute walk in the morning, which Spanish teams love doing. And I've seen the World Cup winning Spain side mooching about, you know, in their tracksuits, yeah. wandering around a park or queuing up outside the zoo. Did you risk that? Can you risk no, that? We What's it worth? We couldn't do that with Madrid, and particularly for that game as well. Because the Atleti fans or... Yeah, both. It was... Security? It was, yeah, security. It was... If you have Cristiano in your team, you know, to, to go on a walk on the streets with Cristiano is virtually impossible. We had a facility within the hotel where they were able to do some light exercises on the day of the game. That was on the morning. And then we went into a series of meetings 
Carlo, with the help of some of the team behind the scenes, had put together a lovely motivational video that included messages from mums, dads, wives, children, which brought a few tears to the players' eyes. Along with you know our path to the final with some you know really uplifting music, and then there was obviously the details of Atletico and also how we will play as well, which included my most how can I say planned, thought out, and uh, nerve-wracking talk I've ever given, mm. considering the fact that Atletico was so strong as well in set plays. Well, let's try to put a number on it. I guess that season. They probably scored 20-plus goals in set plays. Yeah, I mean, uh, over the two years, I think they were hovering around between 60 and 64% of their goals came from set plays, which was European-leading figure for a, for a team that's right at the you know, top of the division or in the Champions League final. So it was a standout figure. We knew we had to get that part right. So the, the presentation, which was the longest that I'd given, I think, all season in a second language for a Champions League final. It was, uh, what can I say, stressful, to say the least. <laughs> can, can I ask the human thing? Because your Spanish is quite good, but it is stressful. Everything's got to be right, because you don't want to look at the pitch. That's not what... So do you stomp around your hotel room kind of yeah, saying it? Absolutely. A lot of practice, a lot of practice. And one of the uh, analysts, uh, Santi Fernandez, who's still at the club now, he spoke good English, so between the two of us, in the days leading into it, we had chosen exactly the graphical images the, to really deliver that message very clearly. And I practised and practised and practised in front of him. You know, as Spanish speaker, his first language, he was really able to help me get the, the exact words, if you like. Principally about defending set plays. Both how we need to defend and how we need to attack. Mm. And if the final is a set play for them, so you can imagine at that point I'm thinking, oh no, please do not lose the Champions League final to a set play. And then a set play ultimately gets us in a position to win the final. Where are your thoughts as you're in the bus going to it? Because players have often talked to me, players in Spain are good, they'll share. And then sometimes they speak in a way that we're not taught to in Britain. They'll really be quite frank about their emotions or their thoughts and... Often they'll be thinking about their, what the video showed them, their wives, their moms, their dads, their kids. As you get on the bus, is the bus noisy? Is it deadly quiet? What are you thinking about? Yeah. Does it matter who sits where? For me, there was almost a certain sense of relief at that point because I delivered, from my point of view, what was going to be a really important part of my job. So sitting on the bus at that point, it was like, well, I've done, I've done that now. And... Um, you know, a lot of the responsibilities now on the players. The players had a certain set of music that was played regularly throughout the season, so the CD went on. It was also about enjoying the experience of taking the journey. That's what I was asking about. Because yeah. on the streets, I mean, it was, it was fantastic and very unique that basically almost the whole of Madrid had, you know, camped themselves in Lisbon for the day. So the, the mixture of the the white shirts with the red and white of Atletico mixing together, the fan zone, and then the approach to the, the stadium was really quite special. 
and getting to the stadium, one of the great things would have been like turning that music off or getting players' music is usually crap. Yeah. Was there anything that was any good in no, that? There was, to be fair, there was, it was, a, it was quite. Any Stone Roses? Nice any Well No, no, no. No, no. no there some good tunes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll take, I'll take that on trust. Some, yeah, some Latin music, some of the Spanish songs. It was, the songs were quite. Did you have one on there? No, you no, no, there was none of mine. Carlo no. always tried to get his playlist on, but <laughs> what would he have put on? Oh, God. Sinatra. He had like love songs. You can't even sing a lot. That was an You can't play these. <laughs> you can't play these, Carlo. What reunited peaches and herb or what? <laughs> that kind of lovey dovey stuff. <laughs> no, he'd have Lionel Richie on the job. <laughs> Carlo, you can't play that. Oh, hello. So that was uh, that was good. Went out to. Uh, I went out and did the warm up myself and uh, Zuzu with a fitness coach. And a See, the responsibility is back on you again there because people don't think about that. They think it's a routine, but players break down. Players yeah. miss games yeah. in warm ups and as commentators, you're like, well, he was out there and now he's not. And what, it's still about calibrating and getting that just right, I guess. Yeah, and you know, by that point, it was the 60th game of the season. Players knew exactly. We never changed the warm up once yeah. during the whole season. They knew exactly what to do, they knew to prep. Back into the dressing room and there was recently, uh, well, I, I saw it about a year after the final actually, they showed a fly on the wall documentary of what it was like building up to that and there was the camera in the dressing room and that was nice to see, you know, what it was like. You could see the people. Were you aware of it at the time? I know no, you knew it. Totally unaware yeah. of it at the time. Yeah. But then when I saw it back, it was like you could see the anxiety in the dressing room and people wishing each other all the best. And then I have a really memorable moment about when we went out into the tunnel. The tunnel at Lisbon is quite short. So you, you pretty much only had enough space for the two 1 to 11s to line up. And then there's the wall. But there was just enough space for me to be like the 12th man <laughs> right at the end of the line because I wanted to see out onto the field what was happening. And it was the end of the ceremony. And you could see the act going on on the pitch, all the colours. You could just about work out that the rail fans were to this side. You could see the white and then just there through the doorway the red and white of Atletico, and then the trophy was sitting on the podium. And it was a real, like, hair on the back of your moment situation I was in. And I was standing right behind Cristiano. And uh, without even realising it, it kind of took my breath. Yeah. And I went like that, and he just turned and looked over his shoulder and went, Paul, don't worry. Like that. And I thought, really, I'm not even playing. I'm not even playing. And he's telling me not to worry. He's here, but I got my Ballon d'Or vote next season. That is class, so that man. Is brilliant. That is wonderful. It's a great moment. I'll never forget that. I often, when I talk about I don't know him, but when you interview him or listen to him, he's actually really witty, yeah. intelligent, admirable in, in just about every way. And he gets a terrible press yeah, yeah. because he's demonstrative and he cares and he, he's got the pin, he'll show it. I, I love that. Mm. So did you take his advice? <laughs> I tried, but after they scored and went ahead, it was, it was difficult then. Listen, let's let old poor old Eker off the hook here. It could happen to anybody, right? Although that wasn't what you'd have been thinking on the night. It, he'd, he'd had a difficult season because he'd been dropped under Jose Mourinho. You came in and between you and maybe, Jesus or not, Carlo and Vecchi, the goalkeeping coach, you crafted a solution where this legendary player would play the cups only not play the league, Diego Lopez would play the league. And again, I'm not, uh, not enforcing my perception. Punch me and shout me, you're wrong if I'm wrong, but he did a good Champions League up to that minute, up to that point. He could have saved you on a couple of occasions and played like you could see us, at least in that competition, right? 
Yeah, we had, we had two really good goalkeepers. There was no denying when we arrived that Diogo Lopez was in good form. Ica had been struggling for a number of reasons, mainly due to confidence and what happened yeah. with the last manager. And uh, yeah, Carlo managed the situation by sharing the games between the two cup competitions and league for Diego. And both goalkeepers performed very well. And I know certainly within the supporters, the verdict was, was split about yeah. who, no who was the better goalkeeper and who and, should play. And within the dressing room. I wouldn't ask you to say that, but on them, a favourite player of yours, Alvaro Abeloa, was quite clear. Mm-hmm. And everybody's opinion is, is worthwhile and vital if they're involved. And I, I've declared to you before the tape, and I'll do it now on the tape, that I'm a bit of an Iker supporter, a bit of an Iker fan. But I, I genuinely, without defending him, I think in the Champions League, he, he'd found exactly what you said he'd lost. He can start the season not looking the sharpest. He's maybe not always the world's most intense trainer. Mm. But as the competition grew, he played well. And then he made a complete arse up for the, for the Atleti goal. Yeah, it was uncharacteristic of him. He, you know, he got caught in no man's land dealing with a... Flapping. Dealing with a second ball, you know, the ball yeah. got played in, it came which out they were, again. Which they would have featured in your analysis because yeah, they weren't just good at first ball set plays. And they were, we, we talked recently to Michael O'Neill and he picked up one day so many said, like, when Atleti are attacking a set play, it's the first guy, the second guy, the third guy, everybody's alert and they're talking rugby about phases of play. They were scoring goals from set plays off second, third, fourth phase play. Yeah, yeah. So they must have been warned about that. No, absolutely. We knew that they were strong in the second phase. It was an error. Everyone knew he made an error. He knew it himself. You could see it in him. There was nothing that could be done at that point. You know, you just had to get on with it. And coming in at half-time, Carlo was brilliant with the players. and He was calm with them. He'd spoken a lot before about, you know, there's another 45 minutes to get back into this game. It's not about panicking. Keep doing your things. Because we played, we played okay. Yeah, no question. Hadn't had any really big chances. The big chances, I think, came in the in the second half. Carlo's substitutions that he made were positive. One was more of a forced one in Kadira. You know, Kadira was a, the decision to who to play in midfield was between Kadira and Iamendi. With Alonso being suspended, they were really the two choices. It wasn't easy to pick Kadira because he'd been out for so long with the ACL and had only actually played one game before the Champions League. But we knew he'd done a really thorough rehabilitation from the knee. He was so professional, he had that experience. So he went with Kadir uh, over Iamendi, but it was going to be difficult for him to last the, the, the full duration. So that was one change that needed to be done. And the other one... The other one's magical. With, uh, and I think it's testimony to the coaching team. Well, actually, in the first year of us being there, that if you're talking about Mossolo and Contrao, Contrao was the better left-back in the first year. It's incredible to hear that said. And in the second year, it was clearly Marcelo. By a distance. By a distance. Mm. So, you know, I think Contrao deserved to, to, to play the game based on what he'd done that, se- that season. He'd, been, he'd made the cross for the semi-final first leg winning goal. Yeah, yeah. Overlapping. Yes. Looking like he'd looked when he burst through yeah. in Portugal and for the national team, which was somebody who could defend and attack and was a blend of the traditional and the modern yes. in terms of... And then he wasn't, and I'll say, I I'm not in for... It would have been said around Madrid regularly that he wasn't the smartest, the most assiduous. I don't think he moved with the times in terms of where you took the club. Yeah, Yet, sure. he started that game. Yeah. And 
he didn't piss Marcelo off, who came on and did quite well. Yeah, obviously Marcelo was sad not to not to start the game and he was disappointed before the game, but you know he was ready to contribute and it was the right time. You know, Fabio hadn't had a particularly outstanding game; it was the right substitute to do. And then from right, I mean Morata was Morata, the, the. How did you keep him alive all season, like focused and intense yeah. and ready to take that chance? Well, a lot a lot of that goes down to him. You know, the, he was a competitor; he liked to train and. I think also Arbeloa has a lot to uh, can take a lot of credit for the way that he was and the environment he created with those that weren't playing so regularly because there were a number of occasions through the season and if you say Cavajal was the played more games at, at right back than yep. Arbeloa did and in the second year even more so and I see this year now he hardly features at all so his football's got less and less over the, over the years but even in that first year, Cavajal would play more than Arbeloa, so Arbeloa was having to train more and play less. And there were a number of times when Carlo said, um, right, we've had a heavy schedule, tomorrow is going to be a day off, but those that have not played tonight, so it was a day after a game, mm. those that have not played tonight, if you want to come in and work, you can come in and, and work, and we'll, we'll do some training with you, the coaches will be there. And this might have happened six to eight times over the two years and almost always Morata was in that group mm -hmm. Arbeloa lots of times in the first year with Nacho and Casemiro etc every time they were given the opportunity to either be off or come in they came in they never once said we're going to take, take the day off and I think big credit goes to Arbeloa because he would say uh, I'm in, and right, you're in, aren't you? You're in, you're in. That, like, that's beautiful. We got six, we got eight. Then he'd come to me and say, right, what about we do this in training? He was already thinking about what he wanted to do in the session. I mean, he was a fitness fanatic. I've never seen anyone so driven by getting fit and training. I mean, during the first pre-season, we had a weekend off. And uh, come back after the weekend, I said, oh, yeah, a nice weekend. We'd just done six days training, which included three doubles in that as well, so ten sessions. And I said, did you have a good weekend off? And no, no, I did a triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> and he would do these other crazy physical tests. I mean, he, he just loved to, to work. So he was, he was you, very you, influential around the young players. You made me very happy because it's fantastic <coughs> that you can attribute something special to a player who didn't play that much. Mm. And we all are, are learning that the, the fabric of a group beyond players 1 to 13 or 14 is really important. Who pushes the other ones in training, who's competing for his place, and therefore whoever's got the place has to work hard because in airs by right. And I remember during the 2012 European Championship where uh, Alvaro was still involved and we were doing interviews and we, we get privileged access to the group and he stopped me and, and wanted to know all about what I was doing as in the mechanics of journalism why did you do this and when did you do this and how would you use that and do you ever find that and I was like whoa I like this I like curiosity in life and he's likeable and intelligent to listen to and yet he's, he's in, at the moment in this very public very intense spat with Gerard Piquet where Alvaro almost represents Madridismo and Piquet almost represents it. They're very different people and they don't get on. It's getting kind of nasty. Alvaro and Iker fell out fairly badly. So for you, people, it's not a visual medium, so when Paul was talking about Alvaro, that you were showing that he was getting the other ones involved just by that little gesture of leadership, like, you know, Casemiro, are you in right? We got, as in, 
I'm not saying you got me here, but as soon as I put my arm around you or gesture to you, you're in. And that, that does some of your coaching work for you. No, of course, and as a coach and a manager, that group that aren't playing as much, the management of them is everything because they need to be there to create good training intensity for those that are playing. They need to be ready to be called upon to take their opportunity because it can happen at any time. You know, long-term injury and they're in. You know, he certainly made that a lot easier and a lot more professional than it could have been. I've been at a couple of European Cup finals that have finished in unbelievably dramatic fashion. Um, at 99, the United in Munich with a club that is pretty strong in your heart because the Chelsea game was just about as unbelievable with Didier Drogba's goal and, and what happened subsequently. There's been Liverpool, blah, 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 blah. So where was your mind and your heart and your nerves with about a minute and a half left in Lisbon and you're trailing 1-0 to the enemy? Well, I thought, you know, time was running out and, you know, we'd had a couple of chances, a couple of half chances and thinking, are you going to get another one? Are you going to get another one? And you're looking up at the clock. My understanding, I don't know if this is true or not, but someone said to me that the Atletico kit man had brought the box out, which I think had the T-shirts in and the caps probably. So, you know, it was getting to that time. People were, you know, some had started to leave the stadium. You know, it was getting to that point, 93, five additional minutes. I know Simeone was crazy about there being so many, which... You know, I, I thought it was fair. I thought it was. I, I did think it was fair with the stoppages and the time wasting. You know, for the set plays and the throw-ins. I, I thought it was a fair five. Obviously, after we did score, and Simeone was remonstrating with the referee that was going into it, that we played five, but you know, we did score after three. So nearly all games have three added on. So I don't think it was an argument that we'd scored on 94, 95, 96. It was 93. But yeah, obviously, clearly that's late. That's a late. The fat lady is, is warbling and warming up her voice to sing. Yeah. Can you remember the goal? Yeah, I, what I can't remember is how the corner came about. I can't remember that. But I remember, yeah, I remember clearly like Luca's right footed out swinging corner and then the ball being quite high but, and then dipping down. And Sergio not actually being up that high himself in terms of the jump, but the connection was was outstanding. Now that period of the game, so, I mean, it was right in the bottom corner. You're talking about against Courtois, 6'5", 6'6". He's got a massive reach. Anything but where it was, and he probably saves it or it's, it's going to go wide. So, a sensational moment. And I was off. <laughs> I was off. I get there a bit late. I think they were, the huddle had almost broke up and they were heading back to the, the kickoff by the time I got down there. But you do see me just arrive at the end. And by the time I got there, it was like, come on, get back out there and let's finish this off. Were, were you slow getting there because Xavi Alonso pushed you out of the way? Because Xavi was down there as well. He's up and off in his suit, isn't he? The goal was in and he's, he's up over the wall and on the track, moving faster than he's moved all night. Well, I think I'm right in saying he got another ban for that. Probably. I, I, that ban, he got banned doing occasional for doing work that. for UEFA.com. I can't comment on that. No. So, all right, let's leave his, his foul misdemeanour of running around in joy at a football match mm. aside. Can I ask you to be frank and say that as soon as it was 1-1, did you kind of know you were going to win? Because yeah. I think everybody else did. Yeah, we had a really positive feeling at that point. 
there were two things. You looked at the Atletico players from the psychological point of view about conceding a goal at that point. That's hard to take. <laughs> but also physically, yeah. towards the end of the 90 minutes and then going into extra time, there were players really fatigued. You know, they were dropping with cramp. They had to do the Diego Costa change after eight to ten minutes, so that was one change. Two others, you know, it was it was difficult for them to see the game out physically. I did have some concerns whether we would be able to, because we did have doubts over Cristiano's fitness, Bale's fitness. Di Maria at one point was down and was thought he'd actually torn his hamstring, but it had just tightened up and I think the euphoria and the adrenaline just well, got it, them it, through it. it. But there's, not, there's no fitness like we're going to win because they all looked as if it was day three of the season. Yeah. Once the sec- once the equaliser goes in, yeah. did, I mean they, they were playing glorious football. It was like playing as if it was October. It was yeah. absolutely fantastic. And I was, I was like, I don't know Gareth at all, but I was hugely pleased. He, that, that to me, irrespective of what happened later, is the winning goal. As soon as it's two one, that is it. Yeah. And I was pleased by him because he'd been. You know, underappreciated both by the Madrid crowd, I think, in that first season, by the Madrid media. And I think in Britain, if another player, a different type of player or in a different era, had been going abroad and winning the Champions League, he'd have been lauded for it differently. So was there satisfaction for you in seeing him getting that goal? Yeah, of course. And after having got the winner in the Copa del Rey as well with a, you know, a legendary goal, Running down the left, not the right. Where down he, the left. Having been defending outside his own box, which nobody gives him credit yeah. for either. Deep. Four metres off the pitch. I think he went out and got an ice cream and yeah. then came back. And it was 44 metres. It's, it's an incredible goal. It'll go down in the, uh, as a legendary goal as, as well as the, the winner. in the thing as a Scotland, and I don't mean rude now, but like, we know each other well enough for me to talk about David Neary in the World Cup in 1982 when Jimmy Hill called up Topo when Davey scored the, the best goal in the world ever from 40 yards. It was a good goal, but he top it in. No, he did. He yeah. scuffed it. I'm not sure he did. I mean, you see oh, players do. You see oh. players do that now. Oh, it's a trick shot, is it? Ronaldinho. What about the way he bam, he gets that quick release True. off the toes? True. I think it's a skill. Marcelo can do it really well as well. Okay. Well, I, I'm not really in a position to argue that one, but let's say I, I didn't come into this discussion <laughs> with that point of view. But it was that was a glorious goal. I don't know if you've ever seen it, and if not, I'll do what Mark I did for you today and bring you nice pictures. The glorious picture taken in reverse angle by a sports photographer at the Mestaya, where you win the cup. Mestaya, yes. So it's taken um, from the end at which Pinto is defending and which Gareth's about to score, mm. and there's like Gareth has gone wide. Bart was looking at the camera going, oh, how did he get by me there? And, and that time Martino's going, everybody, get back, get back to people who are 30 yards behind you are never going to get there. And there's this beautiful tableau of Gareth, like a winged god. Yeah. I mean, it's Chariots of Fire. Bart are going, oh, I really screwed this up. Tata panicking. And it's just all frozen and stuff. And it's fantastic photo. Fantastic photo. Yeah. Which, you, if you don't have, you should have. And if yeah, Gareth doesn't a, have, he should have. It was a great moment. And poor old Tata should never have to see it. Yeah, 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 sure. The celebrations in Lisbon? What's winning a Champions League like? Oh, it's, it's incredible. And the fact that it's also the, it's a famous one as well. The 10th, Arbeloa said it to me as the next day as we were going to uh, the town hall to meet the mayor. He said, we've just won the most important trophy in world football and uh, you know I never thought of it like that but I do think about that moment now that he said that to me so 
yeah, great memories of the final, what happened afterwards. I mean, in, in Lisbon, not a lot really, apart from the, the great feeling in the dressing room. You're then onto the coach, and then we took the flight straight back to Madrid. So there was no partying. We what? got We got back to Madrid and we took the trophy. Oh, trying to get to Sabellas, of course. Yeah, we went from the Bernabeu to Sabellas and... Incredible well, some, some, I think most people who listen at the beginning of you know what that means. But at least for, as we wind up this interview, this gorgeous interview, explain what that is, what it's like, what it looks like, what Stabella's is in this capital of Spain that we're speaking in now. Tell them what it is. Well, yeah, I mean, you got, we got onto the uh, you know, open-top bus at the stadium and then you go down the main, that's a massive main avenue down in, in Madrid called the Castellana. And uh, that goes to a, a point where there's a statue and then there's the... Uh, Sabeles, and then there's the. I'm not sure what the. It's an iconic structure, right in the middle of Madrid, and that's the place where, if you're with Real Madrid, that you go and celebrate the victory. And there's another place, Neptune, Neptune. is Neptune. where Atletico go. Yeah, and just less regularly. But. <laughs> there were hundreds of thousands of people on the street, and it wasn't. We didn't get to Sabeles till 6 a.m. And the amount of people on the streets was, it was incredible. That was a fantastic moment. Sergio and Ica took the trophy up onto the platform as a tradition of putting the, the scarf around so Britain, the like, statue. And health and safety wouldn't allow it. Because <laughs> they're quite high up. Yeah, they are. They're I mean, it, they put all the scaffolding up and it, it looked good. All the same. A few speeches back to the stadium and then we went off again and then we reported back the next day and that's when we visited we went to the town hall we went to see the mayor Puerto del Sol huge crowds and then finished off back at the stadium where we presented the trophy to the supporters 85,000 there firework display sensational but then it's gone. finally it's oh what it finishes you know you go off the players go with their international you're on, you're on holiday you know it's a it's, it's a, a memory, it's a fantastic memory. It's a fleeting moment. You know what, there's so much build-up to it. And I felt this a little bit with the other. I've been fortunate enough to be involved in nine major trophies and the journey is long and tough and demanding. The victory is euphoric, but it's, it's short-lived because you have to move on quickly because there's another season, there's another game, there's other trophies to be won. But uh, the, these kind of interviews that really sort of bring it back when you start to really think about it and talk about it. You know, I have my medal, which is obviously something very special that will get passed on through the family. The club, uh, with all the four trophies we won, gave us a miniature trophy, which is beautiful. Yeah. And uh, we had a, a lovely watch as well for winning the Champions League, so all nice things. Touching on watches, he said with restraint that he doesn't normally have and maturity which I don't normally show it's about time to let you go which pisses me off <laughs> thank you for explaining it so well thank you for sharing it we didn't know when we started out but we have discovered that people get addicted to hearing these stories and if as a bonus you've enjoyed it too then we kind of feel our job's done and both Martin and I are very happy indeed. It's been evident from the start that we've been speaking to a champion and a British champion who did it abroad in a foreign language. That ain't nothing. Thanks for talking to us. No, I appreciate it. Graham, thank you. Well done, champion.
Hello, is it me you're looking for? Carlo, Lionel Richie on the team bus on the way to our Champions League final. No, the Commodores? Fine. Lionel Richie loves songs. No. No wonder they put on reggaeton or whatever tosh young Spanish footballers listen to these days. Thanks to Paul Clement there for a brilliant exposition of what it was like to be an Englishman at the heart of Europe's most successful club. Enjoyed meeting him, enjoyed listening to him, sharing steak and anecdotes with him. I would say to you that Carlo Ancelotti wants Paul at Bayern Munich. Whether he goes there or not will depend on his own appetite to stay as a manager in his own right, something which I believe he's eminently capable of succeeding at. But the lure of working with the mighty Carlo Ancelotti at Bayern Munich again? Well, there's a test for you. There's a choice. I really hope you've enjoyed Paul Clement, all our other guests. Just at the end of the season, we reached at least 2.5 million listens. You've been fantastic. It's been wonderful for Neil and Martin and I uh, to discover that you feel the same way about football as us, that you like the same anecdotes as us, that you've got an open, broad mind about what we can talk about. It's been outstanding hearing from you about your enjoyment and just being part of this sort of huge football-loving family that we broadly call The Big Interview. It's produced by Backpage, that's Neil and Martin, edited brilliantly, often at great length, by Alex Aidy. She takes out all the, the bloopers, some of the swearing, the coughing, the dogs, the lovebirds. Alex, good job. If you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, go to grahamhunter.tv and sign up for the email slot. We'll keep you in touch. We'll send you a newsletter. We will listen to your suggestions about who to talk to. We will try to incorporate your questions. I promise we really will. We're at GH Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Summer's coming. Champions League final is uh, upon us. How the hell are we going to last through the summer without foot? European Championships, baby. Stay tuned. <laughs>